us at Hello! Hello. We did it! Yes! You sort see? Of. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Yeah. Um, welcome, everybody, to our pod five. Pod five. Um, I'm going to call this an emergency pod. Yes. So, we did the last one was with Craigles, Craigles Mason. Only you have the liberty <laughs> of calling him that. Yes. Um, and then the summer happened, yeah. and I went away a lot, mm-hmm. and then we had an idea for a pod that we just couldn't quite figure out how yeah. to do. Right. And then last week happened um, in terms of the current Hollywood yeah. stories, mm-hmm. and you know, we don't really need to like, we don't need to talk about that. Everyone's no. talking about it, don't and the purpose it. of this pod is to make people feel better. Yes, we thought all of this persecution and abuse of women, you know, meanwhile, the other side is great women. Yes. Great women. The great women who are already at work in the industry, doing wonderful things, have given us great films. Let's celebrate. Let's have a happy chat about women. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. This table is quite creaky, so I'm going to try not to lean on it. Um, Sound effects. Sound effects, yes. So yeah, I and it was funny because I emailed you, didn't I? And mm-hmm. I, because I've been, I felt so awful last week, as I'm sure lots of people did in general, and or basically for the last year. I mean, what a fucking mess! Oh, there's Tabitha mm-hmm. making her mm-hmm. um, presence known. Yeah. Um, well, she's a female. She is a female. She that was her. That was her speaking out mm. uh, and feeling mm. good about that. And I emailed you and was like, I just want to talk about brilliant. I just want to talk about women for like an hour. And yeah. you immediately were obviously like, that is totally fine by me and you were thinking about something similar yourself yeah I was um so then we came up with a format Mm. the format is yes we don't know what each other has picked in our categories here's the game the game what the the fun part that we both thought of great minds think alike uh we want uh, two two sides of the story one is top female characters in comedy, romantic comedy, black comedy, you know, that that side, dramedy even, that side of the scale. And we decided to go by decade. Um, so we've gone for 70s, 80s, 90s, noughties, and now. Yes. Um, and one then, per decade. Right. And then not for decade, but also to talk about, second category would be top great screenplays written by women. And there I insisted that we expand... Um, the possibilities, so that, because otherwise, if you're just talking about comedies and romantic comedies written by women, then in a sense, you're playing into the stereotype that women writers would only be writing good comedies. Although I have comedies. done all comedies for screenplays. Well, no, I'm not saying it doesn't <laughs> happen. I'm just saying that I don't want to support that, like, oh, yeah, she's a woman writer, so of course she's she's Nancy Meyer. Got it. You know. Got it, got it, got it. That was, I mean... We had lots of emails back and forth trying to figure out the maths of this yes. and which decade and who was whatever, and I think we got there. And, and the game, the idea is that we have not discussed beyond, and we'll talk about the one caveat, uh, we have generally not discussed our own personal selections. So it was like, Tess, you think of five, I'll think of five. We went, you know, ten on each side, but then I realized that there are two movies that inevitably one or both of us most probably would select <laughs> as being great female characters and or great screenplays written by women. And that seemed like a no-brainer. So you... Yes, so the first one... Like, let's just... We, we don't need to... These are the ones that everyone would expect us to do um, in terms of... Um, so Sally in When Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally. For both character... And for screenwriter, and for screenwriter Nora Ephron. Ephron. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, I was thinking about how Sally is so... 
unashamedly wants to be in love and what a great character trait, what a great hopeful female character mm. she is mm-hmm. and the kind of trajectory of that. Actually, when I look at the people that I've picked overall, they often have this sort of sense of hope in them, mm. which I think is also a good thing right now, yeah. you know? Yeah. And she was so... Um, she was so the voice of, like, so many people at that time, you know, in terms of feeling like a lonely person, particularly in New York City. I think that spoke to lots of people. City, lonely lonely in the city, we'll call it. Yeah, which is kind of, a, if I remember uh, from reading interviews with Nora Ephron, that was actually the starting point of the whole script for her, was what is it like to live in Manhattan at the moment and be a single person? Yeah. And how do you deal with that? Yeah. And she's, you know, and she manages to be, I think this is the key sort of, joy of her is that she manages to be neurotic and funny at the same time about her personal life um she's not just you know a lot of the kind of sort of modern day sort of morphine characters have just been neurotic you know right. whereas like to, you you have to have that new like neurotic and humor right. about yourself right <laughs> and what's cool about sally is that she is firmly uh neurotic and eccentric in her idiosyncratic behaviors and yet the whole point of the movie is he, Harry starts out just being freaked out by it and thinking there's some, something seriously wrong with her. And the thematic arc of the movie is by the end of the movie, he's saying, these are the things that I love about you. So, you know, exactly, it's, exactly. And it's a great, I was thinking, what a great thing for a character, let alone an actress. Like if there exists this Twilight Zone where characters go to live, you know, <laughs> Sally's got to be one of the happiest characters there is because like all of her characteristics get lovingly detailed in yes, this movie. Yes, and in it's, vivid detail. And it's basically like a homage to her, you know. Yeah. She, you know, what's interesting about her is people, often say, yeah, yeah, he's the one who's got the arc. She just stays the same. No. No. She starts out on that everything is fine, 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 and she's really positive, positive, positive. And in a way, living in the city kind of wears her down a bit, and she has bad experiences in romance. And by midway through the movie into the end, she's actually maturing a great deal and being, in a way, more pragmatic. Never gives up hope. No, Never loses that essential quality. But she's a, a, a slightly more... Realistic. Well, I think she's also like timeless on mm-hmm. lots of levels because she's she's an independent person, you know, in that film, and she has a life, and she has a job, and she has her apartment, and she, you know, she is. But at the same time, she also wants to meet someone, you know. And I don't; those two things are not, you know, mutually exclusive. And I, I think she's such a unique fusion of like someone that a woman that still very much exists now in a, mm-hmm. in a very positive way. You know, most of my friends who are single. We're all very capable, independent people, you know, and we rely on each other or, you know, or we don't rely on men basically always now, you know, Mm. especially as we've got older. It's much more about who is going to make me feel good about my life and who is going to support me and who can I just have a laugh with and hang out with. And sometimes those people at the moment might not be men, you know, that's just how it unfolds. Um, There's even a sort of a, there's an inference in the arc of the movie. She starts out more out-of-directed, like marriage and settling down, that that's going to make everything okay for mm -hmm. her. And by the end of the movie, she's actually in the position before she gets turned around by Harry to, like, be okay with, like, all right, I'm just, I'm going to satisfy myself. Yeah, she just presents herself in a way that she's very, like, this is me. This is who I am. So you either like it or you don't like it, you know? And I think that's a really timeless, powerful female trait to have, you yes. know? And maybe why she appeals to us. Well, know. and specifically what makes her iconic is that she did the great fake orgasm in a deli. She did. To prove for once and for all that there is this 
phenomenon, and she wins that argument. Well, this is the other thing. She's not chaste in any mm-hmm. way, shape, you know, even though she's, you know, likes to order the way she likes to order, and she is, you know, technically, you know, a little OCD on those kind of sort of yes. things. She, she talks about sex. She has sex. Yeah. You know, she's and it's and it's not in a salacious like you know Mm-mm. way in any way, shape, or form. And she's allowed, she's allowed yeah. to just be a fucking woman. Right. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Okay, so that's one. So that was our crossover, which was. Oh we, no, we've got both a crossover, aren't they? Yes, but we'll save we'll save talking about Nora. How about that when we get to screenplays? Okay, well, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't have a Nora screenplay, but yeah, let's do. No, that. no, I'm just saying. Uh, you don't know what of, I've got, Billy. That's true. <laughs> you didn't put her on. Wait, but wait, I. Hmm. All right. So anyway, she's up there. Billy is writing this down. By the way, he's yeah. got a list. Well, I want to make sure we end up with ten because it's the idea true. was, or a dozen. A dozen. The idea was that we'll have some selections that would be the same, and so we both came with backups so that we would reach that That's thirty true. dozen well, I in the end. Well, you came with more backups than me. So all right, now we get to here's the nitty gritty. <laughs> Who are your, let's see, you said not from the 60s, right? So we're starting with the 70s. Okay. Do you have a 70s great female character? I do have one, but she, technically the film came out in 1980. But I feel like that still counts as like, you know, there's always a crossover year. <laughs> when, the de- yes, when the decade yes. changes, not everything changes right. in that year. And I've, I've always felt that those, those first, those zero years, yes. 70, 80, 90, should be part of the decade before. Exactly. Right? And, yeah. yet they're, and yet they're not. And yet they're not. So that's my argument for who I've chosen for my 1970 slash 1980 movie. Okay, well now, but for the OCD characters yes. out there who are very upset that we're starting the 70s with 1980, <laughs> should I, let me nominate my 70s character. Do it. Who Go. is firmly said? I, I think I know. Can I guess? Well, of course. I think it's going to be Elaine May based. Ah, no. Although oh. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. I thought about uh, well, Tootsie is in the eighties, uh, but well, I thought like the greats. I had two selections that would be the great sexist male selections for great female characters. Who are they? One would be Tootsie, <laughs> <laughs> who's a guy. Yeah. And the other would be, harkening back to our last podcast, would be her, which would be an imaginary woman who doesn't even exist. Okay. And I thought, oh yeah, those would be just like the worst selections well, conceivable. Well, no, to, mine. To be continued. And some bias, because I'm so proud to say I got to work with her in the 70s, but of course it's Annie Hall. Well... Yes, I should have guessed that, shouldn't I? I was going to do Annie Hall, you know, because that came out the year I was born. Was it 77? 76. 76. Um, but for some reason, I just, like, yeah, I, I just, I thought that would be too obvious. I thought you'd just immediately think that that is the one that I would go for. <laughs> so I let you have it, Billy. <laughs> All right, so let's just say Annie Hall Annie is, Hall. you know, such a memorable character that she almost bears no... You know, you, you don't have to get into the details. We all know who she is, what she looks like, what she's like, and everything of that sort. She's actually, one thing I was thinking about is, in a weird way, she's almost the archetype for what later became the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yes. In the sense that, you know, the, the great woman character who really exists in the movie just to help the man achieve his growth, right? Yeah. But the important, significant difference is she is absolutely not that. Annie Hall is an autonomous character with her own life and her own uh, needs, wants, destiny, all of it. That's what makes her such a great character, is that she's in a romantic comedy, which is generally supposed to end up with the guy and the girl getting together. And the whole point of Annie Hall, in a sense, is she grows up, sort of a Pygmalion story where, you know, she gets her own life together, she moves forward, she realizes gets into therapy, in fact, uh, realizes some of the issues that she's been having, and the kind of bittersweet, poignant 
end of it all is that she's outgrown him and yeah. she's her own woman. Yeah, That's, I mean, in some ways, like, she's definitely... In, you, she's a precursor to Sally in that in that kind of yes, way. Very I think much. there was there's an ending of when Harry met Sally that is when Sally left Harry. You know, mm. um, <laughs> I feel that would be the sequel. That would be the sequel. I feel yeah. Left when Sally left Harry ten years later because she realised he was never going to change. Yeah, really. Um, I'm glad you chose her, obviously, because you know my love for Diane Keaton goes very very far and wide. I think for me she. She is. She is. It's. It's. It's not doing. It's doing her a bit of disservice. Look, putting the manic pixie dream girl stuff on her because I. I mean, I know what you mean. It's totally true, but she is Annie Hall, yeah, yeah. really. Well, you based the character. Yeah, on. and I don't think that you can. I mean, that to me, that film. I don't even think about his character much in that movie a lot because you know, to me, it's like you say, she is the one that ultimately has the the, the proper journey throughout it and realizes. You know, and that scene in the restaurant at the end. You know, it's like everything about that film is basically saying. You're probably with the wrong guy, so you should probably go. But mm. she's giving it a chance, and yeah, she's yeah. evolving, and she's, you know... And, yeah, I mean, it's a great choice. I mean, I'm jealous of it, but I'm, All right, so I gave it to you. Who is your 70s who's really 1980? Okay, mine is Private Judy Benjamin. Ah, <laughs> right. Bravo. Excellent. Private Benjamin. Tell us about her. Also written, uh, well, co-written by a woman, mm-hmm. uh, Nancy Myers, with her husband, Charles Shire. Um, okay, so my, my love for Private Benjamin is, is intense. Um, I, when I was poorly as a child, sick as you might say here, that I had it on VHS. I had that, and I also used to watch Protocol a lot. Do you remember the Goldie Horn movie Protocol as well? I had a bit of a Goldie Horn thing. Hmm. And I used to watch Private Benjamin a lot. Like, wow. when I was sort of like... And thinking back now, I was probably maybe like, like 10 or 11. So it was quite mm-hmm. a sort of formative sort of years. And... Something just appealed to me about that movie. Something, and when I rewatched it actually over the weekend, and I realised that it is such a feminist movie. Mm. And she, at the end, she, so you know, you've seen obviously Private Benjamin, mm-hmm. and for anyone who hasn't seen it, you know, it's you must see it immediately. It's one of those movies that just kind of is so story led and character led, and and Goldie Hawn is just a genius in it. And the opening, you know, the opening scene, it's her second marriage. Um, mm. She's marrying Albert Brooks. All she wants to do is be married and, and, and meet a nice man, etc., etc. And so her first marriage is a disaster. Her second marriage in the opening scene is this big Jewish marriage. And if I remember correctly, she's a uh, wealthy... She's very wealthy, upscale, yeah, upscale kind of... Is it Beverly Hills? Of, uh, do you know what? They don't, I'm not sure they really sort of okay. say where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so she goes home on her wedding night and they're having sex. Um, this all happens in the first ten minutes or whatever. Um, having sex on the bathroom floor and he dies as he's... Uh, pleasuring himself so to speak and but even from the get-go you can tell this is a woman who is like these men are take you know they're kind of like you know bomb like you know she's bombarded into giving him a blowjob in the car at the beginning outside mm. the wedding mm. there's lots of sort of sexual undertones which i probably as a 10 year old was not really aware of and when i re-watched it a bit older i was kind of like oh mm. this is actually saying she's really kind of being a bit bullied by the men she's with uh, and her father uh-huh. so it's very topical for now yes. um and then she joins the army Mm. And that's really the, 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 the best bit of the movie is when she's, like, in the army. Yeah. Um, and she's just such a brilliant... I mean, she's, she's so kooky, Goldie Hawn, obviously, but she's also very... Um, she doesn't want to be there at first, and then she gets told that she's going to be chucked out, and, and in that moment of her dad basically saying, you're not cut out for this, the turn of the movie is, you know what, I'm going to do this. And she right. becomes, a, you know, a great soldier and she gets to join. But it's all... The whole way through it, there are these predatory male characters 
that are kind of like making her like judge misjudge herself as a woman mm-hmm. and the final shot of the movie she's about to get married for the third time to this French guy who we can tell is not right you know <laughs> he's a kind of bully as well yeah. Yeah. and she finally decides she's not going to do it she punches him in the face she's in her wedding dress she walks off down this French um, sort of like forest with like throwing her arms in the air and it was nice. so nice to watch it and be like oh this still really stands up in terms yeah. of sort of being a real analysis of and it's not like she's um, there's not it's, it's 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 a form of kind of bullying by men throughout the whole film, and not to get I mean it's the comedy, but there right. is this undertone to it. This particularly in the yeah. last week when I was rewatching, I was like, oh, I hadn't even realised that this is such an empowering female character. Yes. That she it's not that she doesn't like she still falls in love mm-hmm. and she still wants to be part of you know that necessarily um, the, the, the conventional married world, but then she finds herself through work and she finds herself, she gets given, you know, responsibility and all these things. It's got a really great story at the heart of it, which I think is important as well, obviously. So, I mean, what it is obviously important. Guess what? Do you know that a story is important at the heart? <laughs> you think? <laughs> you think? Hmm. You're great when you get drunk, honey. Why don't you get drunk with me no more? All right, so in the 80s proper, in addition to When Harry Met Sally, my nomination for a great female character in a comedy rom-com or dark comedy of the decade would be Loretta Cat. Oh, I had that too! Okay, I had a feeling. So <laughs> both of us there on Moonstruck... <laughs> Well, I did actually have some backups for that, but let's talk about Loretta. You yeah, well, oh, Loretta, just a fantastic character because there she is smack dab in the middle of a hugely romantic, romantic comedy. And she is, is as down to earth and as cynical to start with and as pragmatic as one could possibly be. The iconic moment of the movie, the thing everybody remembers is when Nicolas Cage says, I love you. And she says, snap, snap slaps him, not once but twice, <laughs> and says, snap out of it. I mean, that kind of encapsulates what I think we all love about that character. Yeah, I mean, she's she's so... I mean, I've seen that movie... I've seen Moonstruck maybe 30 times, I would say. It's one of the go-to Morris family movies as well. And it's a Christmas movie. Let's never forget that Moonstruck um, is technically a Christmas yeah, yeah. movie. Huh. Yeah. Um, she is, from the get-go... Thinks, believes she is cursed, you know, and has terrible bad luck and is never going to meet someone. And um, and yet it's not done in a depressing fashion. She's very matter-of-fact about it, you know. Um, it's not like, poor me. It's like, oh, well, this is what's happening. You know, that, that's my fate, and I'm, and I'm kind of okay with that. Rather than, you know, trying to turn it into a big sort of like, oh, woe is me, poor female kind of role. She's like, meh. Right. And also, what's wonderful is how she goes against the ethos of most romantic comedies in that she's really not interested in romance at all. No, because romance, she says, you know... She's settling for a guy because that's the way it's supposed to go and it's going to have... Not really a big deal. And she gets pulled kicking and screaming by the most romantic guy in the world into this whole other dimension. 
And that's kind of the reverse of the yeah. usual. Yeah, and, and you think about, like, how Nicolas Cage was such glorious casting for that because he really, you know, he's not just romantic, he's so dramatic, oh, you yeah. know. It's well, he's like, operatic. He's operatic. Fact. Well, there yes. you go. Well done, Billy, for the thematic <laughs> drop in there. We must mention for great female characters, oh, Olympia the Dukakis. mother, Olympia oh. Dukakis. I mean, she, I think she won the Oscar for that. I think she was definitely right? yeah, nominated and, anyway. And uh, it's just such a, I mean, talk about memorable women. Oh, my God. And she's so good with, you know, her husband in that film. You know, she's mm. so kind of like, I mean, it's in, in some ways you could argue, oh, you know, she is letting him get away with having an affair, but she has her own journey with that, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, she tries out a little bit of a romance. She does Like her daughter out. and finds it wanting. Yeah, And just kind exactly. of goes, that, no, not yeah. for me, you know? I love that scene where he's playing Vicky Carr and she says, now he's going to play Vicky Carr all night and when he comes to bed, he's not going to touch me or whatever. And oh. it's just so... Oh. But she says it in such a funny, light way, mm-hmm. but it's so heartbreaking as well. But yeah, they're great, those two, and it actually is a double act. We should have, we should have both of them. So now we need a backup. Oh, so my backup... Well, I've got two. I had Veronica in Heathers. Oh, or I had Jane in Broadcast News. Jane in Broadcast News, I would support you wholeheartedly. Would you support me wholeheartedly? I struggled with that because I thought, oh my God, she's so great. We've got to go with her. But it's a dramedy, you know, and it's very... So I just kind of... Well, I, yes. I think my answer with, is yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for supporting <laughs> that. I think Holly Hunter in Broadcast News... Is, oh my God. What a great role. She's just... She's just the heart and soul of that movie as well, mm-hmm. isn't she? I love totally. that scene where she's like trying to change her pantyhose, or as you would call it, tights, we would call them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and it's such a conflicted character with her work and her love interest and the, tr- and the triangle of you know, um, William Hurt and Albert Brooks. And I just find her... She doesn't lose, she doesn't lose focus throughout that whole film, Holly Hunter and well, Jane. Is, well, I can't remember what Poignantly. Her name is. Poignantly, yes, yeah. exactly, to her own detriment at yeah. times. So, yeah, okay, but that's a good backup. And I just wanted to throw Veronica in in Heather's because I, she was like my, yeah, my dream, no, she's great dream scenario lady. That's, ladies that's growing black up. comedy, and that and so uh, in that regard, one of my backups that I just want to again shout out to the great Aurora Greenway in terms of endearment. Oh, Shirley MacLaine. Do you know what? I have not seen that movie for uh, years. Well, you know, I think it. I think I was so upset by it because uh, it's so it's sad isn't it as well it is sad like yeah, isn't no, it like it's really a dramedy. sad yeah James L. Brooks yeah and she again Oscar winning um, because it was a great role I mean she's sort of the mother from hell and yet she's an amazing human being I'm and gonna go and watch that her relationship thing. with Jack Nicholson yes and, I mean there's all kinds of things that why have I not gone back to that film what's wrong with me it is tough no it's a it's a, it's a movie about cancer it's yeah. a comedy about cancer yeah, so, but it's James know. L. Brooks, and like, yeah. I love him. Great so, piece of work. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I'm going to add that to my to-watch list. All right, so in the 90s. Yes. Okay. Embarrassment of riches there. So, All right, so there's the iconic characters that we both agreed on, part two, that oh. had to be on the list. We have oh, yes, sorry, before. yes, correct. Thelma and Louise. Yes. And then we had an argument, not an argument, a debate. <laughs> we don't have arguments. We don't have arguments ever. We have debates. On the phone, and you were saying... But it's well, not a comedy. And it I... is not. A, by, by technical definition, Thelma and Louise is in no shape or form a comedy. We can't say it's a comedy. Correct. However, However, it's a drama with some hilarious things in it. It's, well, also, Callie Curry herself has said when she was developing it with Ridley Scott, when he came on board to direct it, and he, he kept questioning her about certain scenes and saying, is this meant to be funny? And she'd right. say, yes. right. He said, but she's just shot someone. Right, and like, right. they're in a thing. She's yeah, like, no, yeah. no, it's, it's meant to be funny. I think that Thelma and Louise, if I was, if you held a gun to, well, don't do that, you know. If you said to me, Tess, you're going to die tomorrow, I would probably watch Thelma and Louise. 
mm. as one of my last mm-hmm. night movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I those those characters they are they actually make me emotional in like a good way. You know, mm-hmm. like when I think about them and I think every time I watch that movie and I think about them as real people. And actually, I bought you were saying why have you bought this book with me? I bought four screenplays with me by Sid Field, which has an amazing uh, breakdown of Thelma and Louise in it. By and all means. No, I just wanted to read you the bit where Callie Curry says about them, about the characters, about writing them. She said, so much of writing is about getting quiet enough so you can hear your characters talking. And my greatest challenge was not to impose myself on them and just let them say what they've got to say. Mm. Which I just thought was like... And she said, they're real people. In her mind, she said, Gina Davis... If Gina Davis called her up and said, what toothpaste does Thelma use? She would say, well, she uses the one with the red and white and green stripes because mm-hmm. she likes a bit of colour, you know? Mm-hmm. So she, she feels that they are entirely real people. And, you know, particularly now with the whole storyline with Louise, you know, she never says what happens to her in Texas. Right. It's implicit that she feels like it was, you know, her fault on some levels, obviously also very timely at the mm-hmm. moment to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I laugh maybe that there are ten, five to ten scenes in that movie that I find very, very funny, you know. Yeah, like, you know, there's sure. when she goes in, the, the cut to her, what you know, when she runs out when Thelma has I robbed sh- her. Yes, the one of my store, favorite scenes you know, ever. Yeah. You've got the uh, Rastafarian with his joint mm. and the police, you know. You've got a lot of, oh, when she comes out with, uh, after she's had sex with Brad Pitt and she's, her hair is as high as the house. And she's right. Like... And there's all kinds of seemingly throwaway lines throughout yes. the movie that are just so funny. Like when, after the robbery, the first robbery at the store, when she jumps back in the car and they're on their own and, uh, on the road and Louise is freaking out, she says, well, it's not as if I shot somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, when she calls Daryl and he's like, he knows when right. she has to hang. Yeah. There's so many quick-witted sort of beats in totally. it. Totally. And then on top of that, you know, it's... I often think about that scene where they're driving through Arizona and through the, you know, and... or wherever they are, and um, at that point, and she says that she's never felt so awake. And I think that that in itself is one of my favourite acknowledgements that these two women of, like, whatever happens, yeah. they have woken themselves up. Well, as Louise, uh, as they say to each other, I forget whether it's uh, Thelma or Louise who has that great line, something's turned over in me. Yeah, something's changed, uh, yeah. Some, and, yeah, uh, I can't go back. There's no going back. Yeah. And, and by the way, in terms of movie making, one of the most gorgeous moments in a movie, they have magic hour, and there's just it's so convincing that you really, it's, they've kind of become mythic in that moment. It's just yeah, so illuminated. Yeah, and there's, you know, and Callie Corey said that after she wrote it, that she kept getting offered um, all these very girly scripts, and she kept wanting <laughs> to say to people, Didn't Have you, you see? seen the film? <laughs> and, and what she does with them in terms of, you know, we're always talking about character arcs. And the beauty of Thelma and Louise is how they change over, they change roles. Yeah. You know, and Thelma actually, when Louise falls apart, yeah. Uh, Thelma becomes the Louise for her, and there's kind of something wonderful about that. Oh, I mean, it's two the... completely autonomous people, and yet they're kind of different sides of the same. And then they can exchange those roles and still be true to who they are. Yeah, I know? mean, I, last week with everything happening in 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 Hollywood, I, the amount of people that I sent that that little clip of the two women ho- their hands holding as they go off the cliff, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's the most poignant ending to a... It, they couldn't have ended it in any other way no, as well. You know, and Harvey Keitel running that slow-mo as he's trying mm. to tell them to not keep going, you know. Yeah. And it's and yet, and again, they don't listen to the man. It's great. Right. It's like, no, you know what? We're going. Yeah, we could spend an hour on that oh film alone. Well, so. I can highly recommend Four Screenplays by Sid Field because it's Thelma Louise, 
Terminator 2, Silence of the Lambs, and Dances with Wolves, interestingly, mm-hmm. as the fourth one. But those top three, uh, yeah. Thelma, Terminator, and, and Lambs, are three of my all-time favourite screenplays. So it's a really great book. It breaks them down and tells you about character and arc and development, and so it's, yeah. it's fantastic. So my, my selection for the 90s outside of Thelma and Louise, um, and by the way... Oh, Tabby, thank you. Thank you, Tabitha. Yeah, that was the postman. Okay. It's so funny about dogs and postmen because you would think they see them every day. I know. You would think at a certain point they'd kind of go, yeah, Maybe that guy. I just guy. don't think she recognizes him, though. <laughs> That's too odd. <laughs> okay, as we were saying. So, 90s, uh, I was denied the pleasure of guessing your character when I before we decided comedies and it was just going to be characters, period. I thought, of course it's got to be Clarice Starling from Silence of the Lambs. But then we were like, it's not a comedy. No, not a comedy. So I've got another borderline It is a rom-com in some ways, as I always say. (laughs) Right. Between a lovable serial killer and the woman that he helps find another. Exactly. Um, So I'm going to nominate, again, a movie that is not technically a comedy. Some would type it as a black comedy, but it's more commonly thought of as a crime thriller movie. Oh, okay, wait. And this is 90s. 90s. Dun, 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 dun. It is the iconic Marge Gunderson from Fargo. Oh, that's a goodie. That's because a great one. Francis McDormand. I mean, come on. And and it's such a fantastic character. All right, she's got that great voice with the great, wonderful accent that everyone tries to imitate and gets wrong. And such a fully developed and well-rounded, she's a, a good wife, but she's a completely independent police uh, detective chief. I One mean, of those. Well, technically, Cheryl. Uh, I think she's. I think she's Cheryl? chief, isn't she? I feel like they uh, call her chief. Okay, well, policewoman. Policewoman. And she's smart as a whip, incredibly compassionate. Pregnant. <laughs> pregnant <laughs> and pregnant. No, pregnant, compassionate, and not judgmental, but has a firm moral center. I mean, that's what's so interesting. And she goes into every situation open. Yeah. And willing the, to believe good, yes. even in the face of despicable evil. Yes. You know? And and I think she's, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, it, it, she's everything is ticking over in that brain of hers, but she's not giving anything away. It's kind of, she's the perfect policewoman in yeah. that respect. And happily married. Yeah. You know, with a really sweet relationship with yeah. her husband. Yeah. Uh, a, a little bit of almost the roles are reversed, because he's kind of the stay-at-home guy with his, what is his habit? He's making <sighs> yeah, some kind of tchotchkes. I've forgotten. Yeah, 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 tchotchkes. I love uh, that word. I only yeah. discovered that word recently, tchotchkes. I know. So... Okay, well, I think you can probably guess my 90s one. Well, if it's not Silence of the Lambs, I'm... No. <sighs> okay. You're terrible, Muriel, is my... Ah, okay. For the uninitiated, she's speaking of Muriel's wedding. Yes, That's sorry, I'm just like... I mean, it's a rom-com between two ladies. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, it's a love story between two women. Absolutely. 100%. Often, because of that, doesn't get put in the rom-com category. Even though it's a wedding movie. It's a wedding movie, yeah. I know. I just, I think about Muriel a lot. Um, <laughs> because she's so, at some on some levels, um, unlikable on, you know, t- in terms of her... Difficult character. She's very difficult. Yeah. But also the people around her are terrible. So in some ways, what she is is just reactive. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. a really interesting... When she goes off to Hibiscus Island with with the money she's not supposed... That she's supposed to have used to buy products, beauty products to sell. We don't really mind because the woman that gave her the money is having an affair with her dad. You know, like everything has a kind of reason. All of her stupid mistakes that she makes... um, 
she has a reason for, you know. Mm -hmm. um, even when she like agree, answers an advert for a wife for the South African <laughs> swimmer, and it's so she's so heartbreaking on that level. Yeah. All she wants to do is be married, you know. Right. All she wants to do, and her and what he what he does so brilliantly, um, the PJ Hogan is that he he creates this woman who unashamedly just is obsessed with being married. So we all know from the get-go that this is not going to end well anyway. But what he then does is subverts it for us so that it's not that she realises, oh, I'm, I'm going to be okay on my own. It's actually she falls in love with a friend. I mean, not mm. in, romantically in love mm -hmm. with a friend, but, I mean, I'm in love with many of my female friends on that level because right. they, that's, who, that's who they become to you, yeah. you know? And when she goes to pick Ronda up at the end, who's, you know, and they do the goodbye pauper spit and they're together, it's basically, like, in some ways, the end of Thelma Louise when you yeah. think about yeah, it, yeah. you know? Uh -huh. um, they're actually quite a similar mm -hmm. weird pairing when you right. think about it of the 90s, of those kind of female friendships that we don't often see... Um, on what well, we don't see on screen as much as we should, I don't think. Right, and they get to live because it's not a battle with the patriarchy. In that yeah, way. well, it's in, well, it is about. She has a battle with her dad, you know, mm -hmm. um, and there's that heartbreaking scene when there's been a massive fire at the house later on, and oh, right. she goes to talk to her dad, and she really calls her dad out, and mm -hmm. she, you know, she says to him, "You have not been a good father, and you need to look after, you know, your other children, and, you know, and." It's that very Australian world as well, but it's so universal, you know. We all come from complex, different families where, yeah. you know, people put things on you because your parents, they fuck you up, and that's the whole point of life. Um, it's so tinged with, um, with such emotion, that, that film, but also so, so funny. I mean, that yeah, cut yeah. to when they're singing um, ABBA and Waterloo, you know, the ABBA thing as well is another part of her character that is, you know... Just perfect. Not only mm. does she want to be married, she also just wants to listen to Abba the whole time. Right. And she makes no apologies for that, you know? When she comes down the aisle at the end, when she's going to marry the... Well, nearly going to marry... Well, does marry the South African guy, you know? I think she comes down to I Do, I Do by Abba, and it's just her face. Mm -hmm. She's like, she's made it. She's mm -hmm. done it. Mm -hmm. And we should feel really sad for her, but yeah. actually we don't. No. Right. We're like, go, Muriel. We yeah, know yeah. this isn't going to work out well, but, but it's all okay. Yeah. And Tony Collette as well, you know, she's one of those characters that... One of those character actresses that has just played so many different roles since then. She's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Also, let's talk about, you know, the fact that she's not some size 10 skinny kind of gal right, as well. Right. She's like a real woman. She's also like, I think it's important, you know, I'm, I'm aware that we're choosing lots of white women, but I think it's also, you know, that's a whole separate issue, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but also it's important to recognise that a lot of the people that we seem to be talking about are not these kind of wealthy uh, metropolitan women, you know, Sally possibly. But, you know, it's good to recognise that a lot of these characters are interesting because they are... In, from interesting worlds, you know, uh, and real places. Um, so, yeah. So that's 90s. All right. So in the aughts, you call them the noughties? The aughts. Um, uh, I've got one nomination and one backup. Okay. And uh, my nomination, um, and it's amazing that there haven't been more. To, all right, just just to sidebar, 
when when you think of great female characters, when you go into comedy and the sort of the lighter side realm, that that kind of lets us off the hook. We don't have to talk about Ripley from the Alien series, no. we don't have to Sarah Connor from Terminator. There are many, of course, fantastic, powerful, wonderful female characters in drama and other genres. The other thing that I found myself thinking about is we tend to think of favorite characters as ones that we can either identify with or that we think of in a positive way. And yet sometimes some of the most amazing female characters are quite awful. Yes. You know, whether it's Nurse Ratchet in Cuckoo's Nest or uh, Miseries, you know. I mean, so there are are so many great... Also a (laughs) rom-com. Also a romantic (laughs) comedy. There's so many great female characters that that are like awful. So one that I thought of, which I think is both awful and wonderful, and very kind of true of its decade, would be Miranda Priestly in Devil, Devil Wears Prada. Oh. Meryl Streep. Interesting choice. I mean, an amazing role for an amazing actress. And I, every I, that's one of my guilty pleasures. I know there's no, no such thing no, as guilty. No, no, no such thing as guilty. But I tend to go to that. Well, if it's ever on, I get sucked right in. You know, it's Aline Brosh McKenna. Yeah. It's a really strong screenplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though a lot of it is conventional, et cetera, et cetera. But that character to me is just fantastic because there she is. She is supposedly the woman who has it all. And yet, as we learn in the course of the movie, yeah. tragically sad, Does she that, loses yeah. her marriage, and she's both awful, and yet there is that tinge of vulnerability there's that little core of some compassionate nature and the main thing is is she's so damn good at what she does she's really really a and genius. an older woman yeah you know uh, on screen you know Meryl Streep owns that demographic obviously her and Mirren yeah I mean I don't know I've seen that film a couple of times I haven't seen it recently but whenever you, as soon as I think of it I think of her anyway you know I don't think of I mean Emily Blunt is very great it's the movie that brought her to American attention for yeah. sure and, you know, uh, Anne Hathaway. No, but, Annie you know, Hathaway so is good, yeah. You know. Okay, that is a... I, do you know what? We've both got quite curveball... Uh, oh, Naughty's yeah, choices. so... Because do you want... I don't think yeah. you'll ever guess no, what mine is. I don't know what yours is. Mine is Olive in Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yes. I yes. love Olive so much. Abigail yes. Presling. I think about Olive again a lot because she is without Olive. Everything revolves around Olive in that film, anyway. Yes, you know, she's and the she is the moral compass of that film totally. as well. And she is also the person that everyone is kind of reflecting and mirroring off. You know, there's that brilliant scene in the diner where um, Greg Kinnear tells her she shouldn't have ice cream because it will make her fat, <laughs> and right. all of the family kind of you know bond together to kind of make her feel better about stuff. There's the mm-hmm. heartbreaking scene with Alan Arkin where she says I don't want to be a loser and she's she does she's crying and he's saying to her you're not a loser you know losers are people that don't even try winning and you, mm. you know you're, and mm. she she gets left behind you yeah. know at the at the gas station when they're pushing the car and they forget to put her in it she's all the everything if you watch that film every scene sort of revolves around her even when they're in the car she's got the headphones on yeah. they're talking about sex and they're just making sure she can't hear um, and one of the greatest climactic sequences oh. in, in recent memory. I mean, her performance yeah. in that show. No, you don't see that coming that she's going to do it to Super Freak, you know? Right. And also, it's really, you know, making a comment on all these. Everyone else is like, oh, it's a bit sexualized. Like, well, no, that's, that's what they're saying, you know, right. all those awful little kids who are doing the Beauty Queen. It's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you're basically doing the same thing. Right. So it's got this very kind of like subtle message running through it all as well. Mm. Um, We're talking about commitment. The way oh, she does that oh my God. dance. It's, it's amazing. Just, you know, and can... she's so um, she's so vulnerable. And as and I think it, it's it, for me, like, I think because, you know, 
it, it taps into that that child in everyone I think of mm-hmm. realizing that when you're that age you know lots of things really affect you and you don't know how to make decisions and you know like when she's confused about having ice cream and adults put stuff on you all the time yeah. that, that you, sh- you shouldn't be having you know that done to you so I think she's and she's not cute in that kind of like kid way in the Jerry Maguire kid, you know, admittedly right. I still love him, but mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's got some sort of personality and she, so she's not just about saying cute things. She's about actually having emotions, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and Greg Kinnear's love for her at the end when he stands up and supports her and goes and dances with her. It's just, I mean, I... I it's just wonderful. Yeah, so yeah. She, is my, she is my naughty's choice. I think that's a brilliant choice. So it brings really us good. up to now. Which was, I found the most difficult ticket. Oh, because, interesting. Because we're still in it. And there are so many, you know, interesting possibilities. And uh, I got stuck because I was caught between two. Uh, and again, the obvious go-to would be Wonder Woman, but not a comedy. No, right? so, not a comedy. <laughs> not a comedy. Uh, so I, 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 this is going to be weird because I actually worked on this movie, and thus I can't, you know, this is like, I have to admit to bias. Shall I guess right? who it is? Yeah. Is it Kristen Wiig in Bridesmaids? It is the ensemble. Oh, the great, good, nice. Right, so I would say it's both Kristen Wiig as Annie and the whole yeah. crew, yeah. the whole sick crew, yeah. including just great uh, Rose, Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne is so good in And yeah. everyone, and Melissa McCarthy becoming a star yep. before our eyes. Yep. And yes, she'd been a TV star prior to this, but this basically birthed her movie career. And uh, all of them together, I mean, you can't, you know, what a great bunch of women and so well-defined. And uh, such great interactions between them. And not and hot messes? No, not really. Well, not in the way that, you know, they, they're messy, but they don't, you know, they're not like, that's not the only thing they are, you know? No, no, and they're each their own person. And there's that sense of, uh, even if they are in a bad marriage, there's a self-awareness. I think that's a great choice. I think okay. the thing is with Bridesmaids as well is that, like, I mean, I have a personal stake in it because it, I think I've told this story before, but it, it came out just as I'd written Man Up and... Everyone was like, women can be funny. And so my script was out there at a time when people right, were actively right, looking for, yeah. you know, um, that kind of that kind of stuff, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Funny female people. Um, so I remember, and I remember seeing it and just thinking, oh, this is great. This is so good. And then, you know, then we got the heat came out and various other sort of things kind of followed on from that. So it was definitely, yeah. I think we'll look back on that movie and see it as a, oh, absolutely. a huge turning point. No, it was point. a game changer, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, mine is Tiffany from Silver Linings. That would have been my backup. Yes, you see? There we go. Okay. I love Jennifer Lawrence in... The Silver Linings Playbook is a, another one of those movies which we've talked about before that is mm-hmm. so 100% a romantic comedy and yet mm-hmm. because it won awards, blah, 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 usual rant yes. of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, she is such a complex character and I, I love that about her, you know? Um, and I just really enjoy watching her her journey in that film because you know it's clear that because we know it's a romantic comedy that they're going to probably get together obviously but um, but you don't know until the end that she's been doing her secret thing of being the one who writes the letters and etc etc and I just find her she's so brazen and like she says at one point you know that she doesn't mind being like she likes the messy parts of her and Mm -hmm. he's like oh I'm nothing like you that brilliant scene in the diner the diner yeah where he like says Mm -hmm. I'm you know oh no but we're not the same and she's like Fuck you, dude. Her turn in that scene is one of my favourite things ever. Yeah, yeah. She goes, because I'm really crazy with that face. Yeah, and the also, so much to talk about in that character that's great, but what I love about it especially is she owns who she is 
she's not the character who changes, really. And again, typical of a lot of the women that we've been talking about, because it reminds me of Sally winning the orgasm debate. She's the one who, at the back end of the movie, you know, destroys their whole uh, you know, system uh, in terms of what they think the luck is for the teams. Yes. And she, in that great, with her... Great business with the beer bottles. Yes, right? yes. She, you know, she basically takes control of it all and just shows them all that they've been completely wrong, and yes. she's the only one who really understands what's going on here. What could be better? Yeah, and they don't drop that in. You know, it's not like it, the bad version would be from the beginning. We know she understands a parlay and, and all right. of the betting stuff, but yeah. no, we don't need to know that up front. Yeah. You know, it comes out, you know, three quarters of the way through the movie, and that's our another turning point of like, oh, right, okay, there's layers to this woman, which yeah. there are anyway up top. Layers including that she wants to do a dance, for God's sake. I know. Sake. And, and you know so what? off the wall. But you know what's right. so great as well is that, you know, that when they do the dance, because we know they don't have to win, and their reaction when they score a five and no one can understand why they're so delighted that they've scored the five because right. you know and everyone's like why are they why are they so pleased? why are they celebrating yeah and that hilarious bit when they're dancing and she kind of like accidentally ends up on his face and you're like oh my god what is happening but she just they again she just she's so comfortable in her own skin she's not comfortable yeah. in her own mind right. but she's comfortable with where she is and where she's at and and again you know it's a film really about you know i know there's been arguments that it doesn't quite portray mental health and bipolar disorder as people but you know there are so many different degrees of it these days that i think that as a film it is i think it definitely honors um what two said. people's journey Absolutely. yeah yeah exactly you're great when we Let's go right to great screenplays written by women. Correct. And this knows no decade and knows no genre. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Mine do are actually. So these are all films written by women that we love and are now going to appreciate and tell you about. And mine actually are by decade, but what the hell. Oh, okay. So uh, you want to start? No, you start. Okay. I'll go with the 70s. Okay. Lest we forget, one of the great American movies was written by a woman, Joan Tewksbury's screenplay for Nashville. Was it? Yes. And oh. Actually, I know Joan. She's a friend, and I'm happy to say. And she really did an amazing thing. I mean, when you think of that film yeah. in terms of its effect, uh, the multitude of characters and storylines within it, this whole idea of kind of the ultimate ensemble movie. And we just think of it as Altman because he's such an auteur. Yeah, and like, yeah. And actually, I did not know that it was written by a lady. One of my favorite stories about directors and screenwriters I haven't told this on the pod, right? Do it okay. anyway. So back in the day when Frank Capra was the greatest uh, director uh, and he was celebrated in Hollywood and all the reviews of all of his movies uh, started talking about what they called the Capra touch, right? And so uh, one of his screenwriters, I think it was uh, Robert Riskin, uh, was annoyed by this, all the attention that Capra was getting for these films, Mr. Smith and everything else. And so one day he showed up on the set with a pile of blank paper, thrust it in Capra's hands and said, go ahead, put the Capra touch on that. <laughs> so whether it's a, a, a uh, whether it's a real story or not... Oh, I'll take that. Uh, That's a great story. And so, yes, everybody thinks Altman, but Nashville was a one-woman script. Interesting. And she was the woman, and she did a remarkable, amazing feat, I think, of yeah. screenwriting. And that's certainly one of the things that it comes up in every list of great American movies. So there. Okay, I'm gonna. You know what? I think I've only ever seen it once. 
long time ago. So some great female characters yeah. in there. I'm a short. I'm a shortcut. Yeah, I'm a shortcuts gal. So I should go revisit Nashville. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Okay, your turn. My first one could not be more opposite to Nashville. My mm-hmm. first one is Mrs. Doubtfire. Ah. Based on an original story by a lady, and fine. Right. And then written by Randy Mansinger and Leslie Dixon. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I fucking love Mrs. Doubtfire. Like, I cannot turn that film off if it comes on TV. Um, also, it's interesting because it's a man dressed as a woman yes. kind of movie. Right. Um, but, you know, obviously a very particular kind of lady. Um, and I just, I never knew it was written by women. So mm. this is again interesting to me because, yeah, yeah. like, I've seen that film a million times. Never really thought, oh, I wonder... I mean, I knew it was Anne Fine book, but and obviously Chris, Chris Columbus, so I always want to call him Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus, yes. <laughs> I always want to say that. I think that's why he insisted on Chris, Yeah, right? I think so, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's one of those few movies that you can watch, like, with, like, all ages. It appeals to everyone, you know? There is mm-hmm. something for everyone in that film, I think, and um, I think it's a perfect screenplay written by two clearly perfect women. Okay, so in the 80s... We have already Nora Ephron's When Harry Met Sally. We, yes. we agree. That's that's a big one on the list. Okay. Uh, kind of perfect, and by the way, so deceptive. I just want to say for the record, everybody looks at it and thinks, well, it's romantic comedy, and they look at the script in print, and it's all dialogue. You know how hard that is. Oh. Meaning there's almost... I mean, it's like one of these don't try this at home. Oh, well, everyone... I, mean, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about the importance of visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. And all I could think was, no, I know. I mean, I know that. But also mm-hmm. dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> but to sustain an entire film, what's basically a two-hander... Oh, it's with a those play, dialogue essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really incredible. Oh, and, like, reading that is not... Don't read... You shouldn't read... We shouldn't be advising people to read it on some levels because you're right, don't try this at home unless you're a genius, basically. So the other film that I want to mention from the 80s, which uh, really a lot of people don't know or acknowledge, and this is important, was is... written by a woman, okay. is The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, great, okay? yes. Uh, because that is uh, Lee Brackett uh, in collaboration with Lawrence Kasdan and, of course, story by George Lucas. So she wasn't inventing these characters. But the amazing thing about the reason that they pulled Lee Brackett for that is that, uh, dig this, one of her first credits was The Big Sleep, oh. where she collaborated with William Faulkner yeah, I mean, and I Jules mean, Firthman. a bit shabby, isn't it? Yeah, really. I mean, but <laughs> talk about great scripts and great female characters, right? Uh, and over the years, she worked with Howard Hawks and did a lot of his best Westerns, okay. And so I think Lucas very consciously went, let me get, like, the real old-school great screenwriter, and that's the woman he picked. That is a... So... That, I, again, did not know that yeah. she... I mean, I'm not a massive Star Wars... I mean, I should never say this out loud, because the whole pod will explode. We'll cut this from the podcast. <laughs> I mean, I like it. Don't get me wrong. I like a bit of Star Wars. <laughs> right. But I think that's really interesting, because I, I see it as such a masculine thing. Uh, right. On well, some levels. and um, As a fanboy, I will just note for the record that most of us agree that Empire is the best, the best one. of the yeah. original Star yeah. Wars. Is George. Empire the one where um, he says, I love you, I know? No, yes. Yeah. Okay, that's Which, my... Th- Legend has it was Harrison Ford's improv on set. I'm not, not going to sure, give him that. I'm not. I no. Let's give it to her <laughs> instead, please. Okay. That's fine by me. Well, I can go... Similar, but we're going to have a debate about this in mm-hmm. the 80s. I mean, I'm not by decade, but I will yeah. stick with decade for this. So I'm going to go Tootsie, um, because ah. I know that Elaine May did not get a credit for it. Right, but um, had a great deal to do but with it. Well, let me just... I mean, I mean, Tootsie's a perfect movie anyway, so mm-hmm. it's fine. And um, that's not in debate, or up for debate, in fact. Um, 
so it's written by you know it's got I think it's like what's he called Larry Gelman and I don't know a bunch of, bunch uh, of Larry Gelbart and uh, Murray Schiskel just a bunch the, of men can you tell like, the official credit can you tell I'm a little dismissive this week about just uh-huh. a, just a, a bunch, bunch of men, men. Yeah. Um, no Elaine May is Elaine... credited for creating most of the storylines oh, for the no, sporting so characters she's, so she she did three weeks work so you'd be like oh three weeks like, like you know that's fine that's not like loads this is what she did she added a woman's perspective to the story. Hello. She created Bill Murray's character, Jeff. Mm-hmm. She did most of Sandy's dialogue, i.e. Mm-hmm. Terry Gar. So mm-hmm. I, my favourite line of Tootsie is, I'm going to feel this way until I don't feel this way anymore. Like, <laughs> I, I, I just feel like we need to acknowledge that Elaine May yes. basically like, did a lot of work. Apparently she didn't want a credit. She was like, right. no, I'm fine. I'm like, Elaine... But yeah, I just sort of think it's so interesting that it's documented that she added a female perspective to Tootsie because that whole film is obviously about well, God, being yes. a, a woman right. who's a man in a man's world. And she added some of the funniest lines and the supporting characters. I mean, that's really what makes that movie Yeah, work. she also was directing movies in the 70s as a woman and writing, you know, like... By the way, those of you who have never seen A New Leaf... It's on my to-watch list. ...which is an amazing Elaine May directing, written and starring Elaine May with Walter Matthau at his best. And it's really a great gem. And the Heartbreak Kid she did as well. Heartbreak Kid, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, so that is my, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's my, uh, even though she didn't get a credit, I'm giving her a full credit here. Yeah, and by the way, 80s was really strong for female screenwriters. Two other movies that should be uh, name-checked, of course, is E.T. Oh, yeah. Which is uh, Melissa Melissa Matheson. And Romancing the Stone. (gasps) Is that a lady? What? Diane Thomas, yes. Oh my god, I would have had that. Unfortunately, died fairly young, and we (gasps) only has a few credits. But uh, at UCLA, there's a whole screenwriting award named for her. Oh my god, if I'd known it was a lady who wrote Romancing the Stone, that's like what? I mean, that's a that's brilliant. And by the way, to this day. People are still trying to find another Romancing the Stone. Oh, every of every studio I know wasn't night it, and day builders. The they tried, right? Yes, but I mean, it's really one of the great screenplays. Yeah, so. well, it's you know an action rom com. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, okay, that's would have been a great one, and I'm really glad that I now know that was written by a lady. Do you want to keep going with your decades? Mine are not in decades. So. All right, nineties. We have Thelma and Louise, Callie Curry. Mm-hmm. Who has gone on to many other really good movies and uh, and Nashville and Nashville the TV show um, and uh, then uh, uh, this was a little tough because I leaned towards you know the arty side of me wanted to say Jane Campion for the piano hilarious is, movie <laughs> hilarious movie um, but what I went with is the Oscar winning first time screenwriter Emma Thompson oh Sense and Sensibility Sense and Sensibility I mean come on that's a great one and I mean I'm not Emma Thompson also lets, you know, she like does lots of like uncredited work on yeah, lots yeah. of scripts as well. You sort of forget that about her, don't you? She pops up in, you know, you'll, you'll just hear, especially, you know, like, oh no, she did, she did a whole pass on that that kind of. Yeah, totally I still changed. can't get my mind around the fact that this was her first screenplay adaptation. I mean, and speaking, by the way, of Jane Austen, mm. we have to do a name check to Clueless. Yeah, Clueless. I nearly had Clueless. Amy Heckerling. Yeah, I nearly had Amy Heckerling uh, for script for Clueless. Yeah. I also nearly had, you know, Alyssa Silverstone as a character in that, but then I went for 10 Things I Hate About You. Okay. Written by two ladies Karen Culler Kirsten Smith mm-hmm. uh, I think she goes by Kiwi um, mm-hmm. I mean I know she goes by Kiwi I don't know why I'm pretending I don't know that <laughs> um, <laughs> it's such a funny script yes it's so um, like Alice and Janie gets all the great lines in it anyway um, I think Julia Stiles is fantastic in it mm-hmm. um, 
And it's just like a, there's not a wasted scene in that film. Right. You know? Um, so that's my... I don't know I forgot what year. That was early noughties, I think, 2001. <gasps> the little puppy has just come out of oh, the bedroom. Hi, Winston. Winston. Oh, God, here he comes. Uh, okay, so... Want right. to do your yeah. next decade? Arts. Uh, also a difficult decade because one of my favorite movies that I will just keep watching till I die, probably once a year, is Lost in Translation. Yes, I knew you had Coppola. that. Um, also, uh, Devil Wears Prada is in that year. I uh, have to name check Nicole Holopcenter for Lovely and Amazing, yep. who later and uh, Enough Said, oh, and a lot of good said. movies. But the one that uh, it seems a little stodgy and mainstream, but I think is really a great piece of work, is Erin Brock. Oh, Susanna Grant. Susanna Perfect. Grant. That's a great choice. Now, she was revised by Richard Lagrabanese, but having been at the studio and seen various drafts, I can attest it is Susanna Grant, primarily. And uh, a really good piece of work. Oh, I mean, I that movie that just movie. holds up like gangbusters. Again, I don't think I've seen it for like a good like no, five, ten good. years. Yeah. Okay, great, Aaron Brockovich. I am going to throw in something's got to give. Hmm. You're not going to be in agreement. About Controversial. This. No, yeah. I mean, of all the Nancy Meyer scripts, I'd say, yeah, that's pretty much got the edge. If you're going to have any guilty pleasure, it's definitely like got mm-hmm. that vibe to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't love that term. I just really enjoy the, um, particularly the older, the Diane Keaton, Keanu Reeves um, relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think it's of, of all the Nancy Myers movies, and, you know, I don't definitely, certainly don't love them all, but I think it's the most honest and from a very personal place. And, and it's about middle-aged love, yeah. which is, you know, so rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. That was their reaction to middle-aged love. So I'll say that again. And it's about middle-aged love. <laughs> One more time. And it's about middle age. <laughs> I'm leaving this in. I am leaving this in. Oh, they don't like that middle age love, these doggies. No, they, they just really don't. They really don't. Um, so, yeah. No, no, I'd agree. I'd say if I was looking at her oeuvre, mm. I'd I think say that's I, the for, one. For yeah. me, I think if we're going to talk about great female screenwriters, mm-hmm. I think she just needed to be yeah. up there yeah, yeah. Um, in that kind of way. Absolutely. Okay. So now we're up to our decade. And again, tough, because a lot of great screenwriting by women in the... What are we calling this decade? I don't know. Oh, like the, t- the 2010s. Teens, 10s. Teens, uh, I don't yeah. know. Okay, so I thought, all right, Bridesmaids, I, again, because I was involved in working on the film, I don't have the perspective. I wouldn't cite it as a great screenplay. of the, So I gave that to the performances, the, the characters. So uh, there's that. And uh, the one that I uh, honed in on as, I think, one of the best female written screenplays of the decade is The Kids Are All Right by Lisa Cholodenko. See, I, I've only ever seen that film once and did not love it. Okay. But I'm going to trust your... Uh, I mean, I didn't like not... I, I saw it at the London Film Festival, in fact. Ah. And I remember coming out and just feeling that it was... A little smug, but maybe hmm. I was just in a bad mood. That can happen. Yeah, I could see that. You know, but I think, again, two really strong female characters. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I remember really enjoying the dynamic between. You know, I love Annette Benning, so I remember really enjoying the dynamic between like her and Julianne Moore and and, and everything. So I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna go back and watch it again. Okay, fair enough. And Mark uh, Ruffalo was great in it. And uh, it's it's funny. I think of it as being very much of this time. Just yes. because of the issues within the movie and how they're handled. And it's technically so. kind of a rom-com on some levels. Yeah, levels. it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to take back everything I just said. No, no, no. You can still go with Smug. That's a I'm legitimate gonna, criticism. I'm, 
But, you know, smug's fine now. I can cope with smug. <laughs> Next to everything else that's going on. Yeah. I, my last one is Obvious Child by Gillian ah, Rosebeer. A great, yes, love that movie. Um, I love that film. I think she's such a talent. I think her collaboration with Jenny Slate, I mean, they've also did Landline recently, which I enjoyed yeah, yeah. as well. But Obvious Child is just a perfect, perfect little movie, as my dad would say. Um, and... Jenny Slate's character in it is is brilliant. It's obviously important for me in terms of the female aspect of it that it's about having an abortion and yet it manages yeah. to do it in a way that is so interesting and not preachy at all. And gets laughs. Gets a yeah. lot of laughs, get a lot of laughs. So, yeah, so um, yes. I'm very excited for whatever she keeps doing next because I think she's a real talent. Gillian Robespierre, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, I would think I'm so. Probably yeah, not, yeah. yes. Okay, great. Well, this is a great list. What do we got right, then? So here's what we got. For great female characters in comedies, black comedies, romantic comedies, over the decades, we have... Uh, when Harry Met Sally, Annie Hall, Private Benjamin, Moonstruck, Broadcast News, Thelma and Louise, Fargo, Muriel's Wedding, Devil Wears Prada, Little Miss Sunshine, Bridesmaids, and Silver Linings Playbook. And then for people who want to see great screenplays written by women over the years, uh, 70s through current day, we have Nashville, When Harry Met Sally, Mrs. Doubtfire, Empire Strikes Back, Tootsie, Sense and Sensibility, Thelma and Louise, 10 Things I Hate About You, Aaron Brockovich, Something's Gotta Give, Kids Are Alright, An Obvious Child. It's almost like women are brilliant. <laughs> You'd think. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. Uh, okay, I feel better. Do you feel better? I do. I, I know <laughs> I do. So the, think of this, if you're listening to this pod, as an antidote to the horrors of the current moment as women all over the globe talk about how they have been persecuted, abused, and uh, struggled to find power in the industry. Here are 12 movies, 24 movies altogether, with an inordinate amount of amazing female characters yeah. and amazing female writers to show that it's a, there's a good reason to listen to them. This pod is for them. See you next time. See you next time. Bye.